0: A series at our church right now called Practical Jesus. And here's the thought of this series that we're in. For those of you in here who would call yourselves Christians and you follow Jesus and you've given your life to Jesus, I'm trying to highlight for you some areas that are very real in our everyday lives that Jesus speaks to in a very practical manner. I'm trying to show you that Jesus doesn't just have information spiritually for your soul, but for your life, for your calendar, for your relationships for the things that you want to do. I want to show you that Jesus is the most practical teacher who's ever lived. For those of you who are not Christians, and we have a lot of people who come to our church who are just kind of brand new to the faith thing or checking out the faith thing. My goal in this series is to show you that Jesus is worth checking out, that Jesus is worth following. And if you really just study the life of Jesus and what he says, I believe a life of following Jesus is a life that's better than a life not following Jesus, not because we're better people, but because the advice that Jesus gives us on how to live our life in the everyday practical things is so outstanding that I believe it's good for everyone. And today we're talking about Jesus' information for us on how to manage a cluttered life. I told you this message started when I turned 30. And here's what happened when I turned 30. And for some of you, you've been very much like me. When I turned 30, I realized that I had gotten there by accident. Uh, and I don't want to say that, that, that my 20s, I wasted them, but when I turned 30, it was, it was shocking to me how quickly 30 came after graduating from college. And I thought, you know, if I don't stop and reevaluate my life, like I'm going to get to 40 on accident, I'm going to get to 50 on accident, I'm going to get to 60 on accident. One day I'm going to look back at my life and say, man, I really didn't do anything that I wanted to do. I just kind of existed through life. And the reality was my 20s were so busy that when I stepped back at 30, I looked at my life and thought, if I were to choose a life for myself, this would not be the life that I would choose. From the, the schedule that I kept, to the ministry that I served in, to how I did church, I just thought, I don't think this is how I want to live the rest of my life. And I read a book by Dr. Eric Geiger called Simple Church. And it didn't teach you how to reorganize your entire life, but it basically said that as Christians, we need to simplify everything because we've taught people to worship the church and to hang on to the church more than Jesus. And a lot of the stuff you're doing at your church can really be simplified. And I took that message and I thought, man, I bet there's a lot of things in my life that can be simplified. And at 30, I began a journey to try to do things differently. Starting this church was one of those things that we did to try to just live life simply. And what I've learned as the pastor of this church Almost the last three years is this when people come to our church When they get engaged in church people who are far from god who've not been around church when they give their life to jesus When they become a christian most people want to do more spiritually than they are But they don't they don't know how to fit jesus into their life And what I am finding is that a lot of people are having a difficult time putting jesus at the very center of their life Because they don't know where the center of their life is anymore because they're just like existing in this whirlwind. In Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus and his disciples existing in this type of whirlwind. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Mark chapter 6. If not, we've got a Bible you can use today. We've got a Bible you can have. Our ushers are going to go down the aisle. We give away Bibles every week at our church. If you'd like one, just wave at them as they come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible or you don't know where yours is, just write your name in this one and keep it. Go home. But I want to show you three verses today that we we don't ever think about Jesus doing. But we see as we begin to look at how Jesus tells us to live life, um, Jesus has some great advice. And he leads by example in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. And here's what we learn in the second week of this series installment, Practical Jesus. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now I want to stop right there. Have you ever found yourself so busy that you forget to eat? Like, have you ever had so much going and coming that like you find yourself sitting down to eat lunch at three o'clock or to eat dinner at 10 o'clock Or you can't get out of bed in the morning. Have you ever found yourself like the disciples at the end of verse 31, where you just needed a quiet place and a little bit of rest in your life, but you don't feel like life allows that or that your schedule affords that? You know, as we look at the life of Jesus, we find Jesus who had to have the most important three-year ministry that's ever been had on planet Earth. But we find a guy who, even though he knew how important his work did was, did not work every day. Could you imagine being a follower of Jesus on this day, calling Jesus and his assistant telling you, oh, he's taken today off, you'll have to come back tomorrow. Like, we never picture Jesus and the disciples ever saying no to anything. We never picture Jesus and the disciples ever stopping their life for anything. We never picture Jesus saying, time out, turn off the phones, turn off the laptops. You just need to, you need to take a day and just shut everything down. But I have found, as I have begun to study scripture in the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, that God is the God of trying to help us learn how to manage our cluttered life in a way that gives us rest, in a way that gives us refreshment, and in a way that really keeps us enjoying life, not being so busy that we forgot to eat and we didn't have any time to see the people who were the most important to us. If you look on your sermon notes and you can kind of reach inside your bulletin, we've got them so they detach now. So if you fold them back once or twice and just fold it down, you can tear it off and take notes with us today. Or maybe you can. I'll just rip my entire bulletin in half. Um, You can follow along. But the first point on your notes, the reason I want you to have your notes in your hand is because it's time to take the first note. According to the life of Jesus, every now and then we have to step back away from the busyness of life to look at our life. Regardless of how important the cause is that you're committed to, regardless of how much time you spend committed to that cause, every now and then you get to a point in your life where you realize this is out of control and you just have to step back. And what we learn in life and what we learn from Jesus is if we don't learn to manage our lives, if we don't manage our lives, our lives will manhandle us. And I'm telling you, there is no reprieve, there's no day off, there's no refreshment. If you don't stop and get a hold of your life, your life and your schedule will manhandle you. And the reality is, in life, we open these small windows that we think are going to be like a phase of our life. Like we we decide we're going to go back and take a a college class, we're going to maybe work towards a degree, and and we were going to do this for like six weeks or six months, but now it's been three years. And we're still taking classes. Or we decide we're going to get a second job so that we can pay off some debt. And then we find ourselves not only paying off all our debt, but keeping that second job so we can just live life at that new standard of living. What was supposed to become a phase of life has become a pattern of life. Maybe your grandparents and you got into a phase of life where your kids needed some help for, so for on a couple weekends, they brought the grandkids over. And now it's been every weekend for six or eight months that you're literally full-time grandparents and you realize you haven't even seen your husband or wife or worked in your yard or done things that you wanted to do. You make commitments that you plan to make for a time period, but then it becomes a pattern. When, when we look at these phases on your notes, when we look at these busy phases of life that become busy patterns of life, change has to occur. And I'll never forget being asked a question by one of my counselors when I was in the the, kind of the leadership learning phase of planning this church. He said to me, Christian, if you ever get in a phase of life where you step back and say, if I cannot live the way that I've lived the last 90 days for the next five years without just destroying everything, you need to call time out and change it immediately. And some of you think you're living in a phase of life, but the phase of life has become a pattern of life and it has no end in sight if you don't sit down and call time out. And figure out how to get a hold of it. So my job my job today, my, my goal today, my and I've got little tips throughout this message to kind of help you learn how to manage your life like I'm trying to learn how to manage mine. Here's the first tip that I want to give you to make sure this message sinks into your life. Don't go to bed tonight before you discuss and implement this message. Either with yourself if you live alone or with your spouse if you're married. Do not go to bed tonight, and I told you last week, these sermon notes in the next five weeks are sermon notes that you never, you never want to throw away, because 90% of the ministry meetings I've had for the last 15 years deal with one of these five areas. So when these things creep up in your life, when you feel a little burnout coming on, when you feel a little stress coming on, when you feel like you don't even have time to, to eat or take a nap. You need to pull out these notes and say, what does the Bible say about these areas? I want to challenge you today to listen to Jesus' advice. Listen to the biblical advice on learning how to manage your cluttered life. And here's what I'm going to try to to give you. I'm going to try to help you prioritize what Jesus says is most important in life. I'm not going to talk to you about your jobs. I don't know where you work. I don't know what you do. And I'm not going to tell you to go quit your job. I'm really not going to talk to you today about your marriage or your marriage schedule because it's going to look different for everyone. I'm just going to ask you to prioritize in your schedule to go home and say, let's put these things first. And I believe if you go home and put these things first, that whatever else you do in life will be more easily managed and you'll have less clutter to have to deal with. As you look at your calendar for this upcoming week, here's the challenge that I would give you from scripture. Start with rest. The very first thing in your calendar every week as you try to learn how to manage your cluttered life, you ought to start by scheduling your rest. Okay, it's Sunday. Between now and next Sunday, when am I going to rest? How much am I going to rest? How am I going to make sure I've got the physical energy to keep going? Dr. Charles Seisler, who's the director of the Division of Sleep Medicine at Harvard Medical School, states that the U.S., quote, suffers from a staggering amount of sleep deficiency. Two million Americans fall asleep behind the wheel every week. Coffee is consumed at a rate of 587 million cups per day in the United States. Tops in the world. We lead the world, according to Dr. Seisler, in a a medical term that's known as sleep debt or owing our body sleep all the time. Dr. Seisler says that eight hours of sleep are a minimum per night for somebody who wants to function well and healthily unless you have a high-stress job or you work out for more than an hour a day and then you need at least nine hours. So a high-stress job and working out diligently demand more sleep, not less sleep. And then he said a person who goes a week with only four hours of sleep per night has the exhaustion impairment equivalent to a blood alcohol level of 0.1% or more than the 0.08% that's legally drunk in the state of Missouri. So there are some people in this room who literally can't make good decisions at good times for good people because they, they haven't rested enough. And it's interesting when we study scripture, particularly when we go back to Genesis, did you know that the Jewish day actually begins at sundown, not sunrise? It's really interesting when you go to Israel, the Sabbath day, which is Saturday in Israel, the Sabbath day starts when the first star comes out on Friday night. When you can see the first star in the sky, nightfall has fallen and the new day has begun. In Genesis 1, 3 through 5, it's even here if we read it, although we've never noticed it. On the first day, God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, he called the darkness night and there was evening And there was morning the first day. That's not how we think of it, right? I mean, a day for us is morning and evening and then go to bed. A a day in scripture, a day in Jewish culture was evening and then morning, and that was the day. Literally, God designed the day so that the first thing you would do every day is have a meal with your family and then go to sleep. And how many of us never have time to have a meal with our family or get good sleep Because the day gets away from us. God said, if you would do it my way, if you would start with rest, like if the first thing in your calendar every day was your meal with your family and what time you go to bed, and everything else revolved around that, you'd be happier, you'd be healthier, you'd probably get a lot more done. You may not be able to work where you work now. I I don't know, when you start scheduling your calendar, you might say, you know, I, I don't know that I can do this and keep my job, and then you might have to talk about serious change. But if you want to be healthy and have a healthy life the way Jesus says it, you need to start with rest. So let me give you a rest tip for those of you trying to wrestle with the busyness of your life and enjoying Jesus and your family. Notice nightfall. Notice when it gets dark outside and then just shut everything down for the evening. Now this means you might work a little harder in the summer than you do in the winter. But if we can train ourselves spiritually to notice when it's dark, and when it's dark, the day is done and we shut it down and enjoy our family and we make time for Jesus and we make time to sit down and have a meal and we rest. If we notice nightfall and then shut it down, I believe that radically change our life. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you work late into the evening on your laptop, sitting at home on the couch or in bed, pecking on that laptop, doing work because you, you can't even get alone to get work done until everyone else has gone to bed, right? If we want to manage our cluttered life, we have to start with rest You might have read this a few weeks ago, a quarter million people, 250,000 people in France were given government permission not to answer emails, text, or take work calls after 6 p.m. Here's the article that that came from. It's official, France wins. The European country has inspired the envy of the rest of the world, the working world, by enacting a new policy that essentially makes it illegal to work after 6 p.m. Now, that's not what it did, but it made it legal not to answer work text or emails or calls after 6 p.m. you couldn't be punished for. It. While America is good at a lot of things, creating a culture of a healthy work-life balance is not one of them. More than 8 in 10 American workers, that's more than 80%, report being stressed about their jobs, and stress costs American companies roughly $300 billion each year. Burnout has been called the disease of the American civilization. Overwork and occupational stress may not only be hurting the bottom line by reducing employee productivity, they could be killing us physically. And yet so often we still celebrate stress, sleep deprivation, and overworking as badges of honor and signs of personal worth that I'm a hard worker. So you say, what does Jesus say about managing my clutter life? He says, go to bed. He says, start with rest. When you look at your work week, schedule your rest first and then after you schedule your rest, you're going to love this. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I love that God is my boss as a pastor because I get to do things the way God says to do them. God says, start with your rest and then secondly, continue with your Sabbath. Now, your rest is how much you're going to get away and sleep. Your Sabbath is what day you're going to take off. So imagine your boss coming into you when you get hired and say, now listen, the first thing I want you to do every, every night is I want every, every week, I want you to sit down at your desk and figure out how much you're going to sleep, when you're going to sleep, and then figure out what day you're going to take off. Before you get any of your work done, I just want to make sure you know that and have that. And then we can wrap everything else around that. As we talk about continuing with the Sabbath, here's what I mean by that. Develop a Sabbath schedule. You say, what does that mean? It's a schedule that has a mandatory day off in it from your work every week. And the reality is when we look in God's words, we see that God always left room in schedule for everything in life. It's always God saying, don't spend every minute of every day. It's always God saying, don't spend every dime of every dollar. It's always God saying, "You know, make sure you don't eat everything in the house at the same time. In Exodus 28 through 11, it was God saying, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That word holy means set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He made it different. That was a day you're not supposed to do anything like you do in your regular schedule. In Leviticus nineteen nine and 10, God teaches us to leave room in our work schedule for extra stuff. He says, now when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings, that means the leftover part of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and the stranger. on the Lord your God. So God said, when you go out and you get the apples off the apple trees, if there's a few left, leave them. I'm not a God that consumes everything all the time. In Deuteronomy 14:22, in dealing with money, he said, be sure to set aside a tenth Of all that your fields produce each year. That's where we get this word tithe. That's why we talk about giving 10%. He said, take the first 10% and use that for God. But God continually says, don't use everything. We live in a world where we try to figure out how to use every minute of every day of every week of every year to the best of our advantage. And God says, don't do that. Leave some space at the margins of your life and at the margins of your schedule. Develop a Sabbath thinking. What is a Sabbath thinking? I heard Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, talk about Sabbath thinking to the people in his church one time. And he said a Sabbath thinking person thinks this way. They're always thinking about when they can get away a little bit. He said a Sabbath thinking person always departs daily. They depart daily for at least an hour. They have an hour in their day that's always carved out for, for the Lord, for themselves, for whatever, You know, a recent study says the average American relaxes only 17 minutes per day. I want you to think about that. The average American relaxes only 17 minutes per day. And I read an article on CNN two weeks ago that said 83% of people under the age of 40 sleep with their phone and 40% begin looking at their phone Before they get out of bed in the morning, because they use it for their alarm clock, meaning that they have less than 30 seconds of mental relaxation before they mentally begin their day. I hit my snooze button, I hit my alarm clock, and I immediately start downloading my text and my emails and everything to do that day. Before I've even swung my feet out of bed, my mind is on and gone. Zero relaxation to set the schedule. The author of that article said that no person should check their email, text message, or phone until they've had breakfast and they've sat down and written the most important things to do in that day so that they can set the schedule of their own life rather than being scheduled by whatever is on their phone when they wake up in the morning. That's not a biblical tip, but it's a tip from an expert. My tip to you would be take a nap. You know, it's interesting when we see Jesus in Luke 18, 23, Jesus had a long day of ministry and it says he settled down for a nap. You know, it's interesting, Adam, who God created on the sixth day of creation, Adam, on the very first day he was alive, God had him take a nap. I want you to think about, right? Let's think about, for creation purposes, the first 48 hours of Adam's life and ask ourselves if these were the greatest 48 hours that any man has ever experienced in his entire life. Like, Adam is created, right? And he wakes up in creation God, The Bible says that God breathed life into his nostrils. So literally like Adam wakes up and he's looking into the face of God who's kneeling over him. And Adam's like, wow, I'm alive. And God's like, welcome to the world. And he's like, this is your garden. These are your animals. Um, I want you to name them all and figure out how to take care of this place. And he did that for a few hours. And God came back and said, okay, that's good enough now. Why don't you go ahead and take a nap? Like first day of existence. And God's like, take a nap. He wakes up from his nap expecting to see the face of God. You, know, you can imagine he peeks open one eye and God's not there. And he rolls over and there's a naked woman next to him laying in the garden. And he's like, like he probably couldn't wait to fall asleep again, right? He's like, this is unbelievable. Like waking up is the greatest thing ever. Um, he wakes up and there's Eve. And God's like, you know, hey, how was your nap? Here's Eve. Y'all need to be fruitful and multiply so, you know, it's nighttime now, so go ahead and go to bed. And you can imagine they went and be, were fruitful, multiply. Then they woke up day seven and God said, just take the day off. Adam had to think, this is the most awesome existence in, like, in the face of the planet, right? A 48 hours where you wake up, you take a nap, you work in the yard, you, you be fruitful and multiply. And then you go to bed and get up and your boss calls and so said, take the day off. It's like, that is an incredible 48-hour stretch. But the Lord created us to be, to be creatures that enjoy rest and enjoy work and enjoy our families and enjoy our days off and enjoy our gods and and our God. And we are people who don't have time for any of that because we're so busy and we've got it wrong. So you need to try to figure out, can you depart daily? Rick Warren says to withdraw weekly. This is that one day off that you take every week, take a day off. When is your day off in your schedule? I'm I'm assuming most of you have a scheduled work day off, but what do you do on that day off? Do you catch up on all your work on your day off because you can't get it all done at your work? What's the day that you just shut everything down totally? And then Warren says that you should abandon annually. You should have times in your year. I believe the Bible prescribes three weeks where you just shut everything down and enjoy God and your family. In the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to attend three annual, week-long feasts where they ceased from their work to just spend time with their family celebrating God. The Passover, or what is known as a Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Weeks, or what the New Testament refers to as Pentecost. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Feast of Tabernacles, literally, everyone would go camping. They would leave their house, and they would sleep in tents to remind themselves, nothing in this world is permanent. One day our home is in heaven, so... I can live anywhere as long as God is with me. So abandon annually, three weeks, go on vacation, take a staycation, go camping, shut everything in your world down and enjoy your family that God has given you in a manner that allows you to rest and be refreshed. And then finally, I challenge people to quiet their lives quarterly. Every three months, just take a weekend to just shut it down. And my encouragement for you, if you have young kids, is use the school schedule. There's, there's going to be, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. There's going to be Presidents Day. There's going to be Labor Day and Memorial Day. There's going to be those parent-teacher conferences. There's going to be times when your kids don't have school on Friday. That might be a good day for you to look ahead and say, you know, I'm going to take that Friday off. And that Friday and Saturday and Sunday, we're, we're going to get away as a family and just relax, even if we're going to the movies or going bowling or just hanging out and having ice cream or working in the yard. When my kids are off school, those long weekends, I'm going to I'm gonna try to piggyback on that and take one of those days off to be with my family. Get ahead of your schedule. In Mark two twenty seven, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not for people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to help people. The Sabbath was made to meet their needs, that they're tired and they don't have any time with their families. The Sabbath was made so that everyone would shut down so they could be refreshed, so they could keep going. The sad thing is many won't step away from their work, if we could be real honest. Because they think work can't go on without them. And they quietly hope work can't go on without them. Because of the value that we all get from our jobs and our positions in life. CBS Money Watch reported in early April that American workers used only half of their eligible vacation time during the past 12 months. The top reason for not taking vacation time was a concern that no other employee could do their job. Followed by a fear of getting behind. Money Watch says, still it's not as if Americans get a lot of vacation days to begin with. The typical U.S. worker at a private company is awarded 10 days of paid vacation and six paid holidays each year. That's far below what workers in France or the U.K. receive where employees are given 30 and 28 vacation days respectively. Apparently, we need a Journey Church France where no one will bother us after 6 o'clock and we get a month of paid vacation. I mean, I look at this and it's, you know... It's like, we, we, like, you know, like, let's, let's do this. I'm, I'm all for that schedule because we live in a world. It's so overworked and it's so burned out. And the reality is we place too much value on our work and we gain too much value from our work. And we are a work obsessed society and culture. Our work has become who we are rather than what we do. You know, in the fifties, in the 1950s, a job was what you had, And now, as we look into the 21st century, a career is what you're pursuing. Instead of going to work to support your life as a dad and as a husband and as an American, your job so you could live your life, now we live our life trying to have a career. and, And most of us spend so much time trying to earn a living that we have missed our life. And I think Jesus, as he told his disciples in Mark 6, he's like, time out. You can't run at this pace you need to come rest. You just need to get away for a little bit. Don't work so hard trying to make a living that you don't have a life. Ecclesiastes 4, six Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, put it this way, better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Solomon said, I'd rather have an okay job that gives me what I need than a job that gives me so much but keeps me so busy that like I literally can't even enjoy what I have, better a handful with a great life than two handfuls with constant turmoil because of how hard I have to work for it. There's a lot of people say, Christian, I just don't have time for a day off. If I have a day off, I get behind. If I I take a day off, if I would take a week of vacation, Christian, if I would go on a mission trip, everything would shut down. I would say you're not trusting God enough if God said this is a schedule you can keep and be healthy. I read a few weeks ago in USA Today that the average Chick-fil-A restaurant makes $3.3 million over the course of a year. And the average McDonald's restaurant makes $2.5 million over the course of a year. The difference between those two is McDonald's is open almost two more months a year than Chick-fil-A is. Because the founder, Truett Cathy, read that you were supposed to not only take a sabbatical, but as a Christian businessman, you weren't even allowed to let your employees work on Sunday. So he said, we're closed on Sunday. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled into Chick-fil-A after church and cursed at Cathy because they weren't. It's like, man, I just, I just really, you know, why does this guy got to honor God? You know, self-righteous, I want a chicken sandwich. Um, you know, it's like, but Chick-fil-A, who two months a year closes their doors, makes more than the average restaurant that's open 364, sometimes 365 days a year. See, you can honor God's schedule. You can take a day off. You can take an hour a day. You can take a weekly vacation. You can work less than people and have more, I believe, if you do it God's way. But we have to be willing to lean in and trust what God is saying to us here. Say, Christian, how do you do, when there's so much to do, how do you take a day off? Here's a Sabbath tip for you. For those of you who, like me, are busy enough that you never have a day without things to do, make a written list of everything that needs to be done immediately after the Sabbath, and then shut everything down for a day. Our church staff takes Fridays off. That's just the best time in our calendar. That's the Sabbath day we've determined for our church. Because Sunday we work hard all day long. And then Monday we kind of review Sunday and we get started for the week. So Friday is the day we kind of, we kind of shut down. And there are most weeks of my life I'm not done on Friday. So what I do Thursday before it gets dark... I'll pull out a sheet of paper and say, these are all the things I did not get done this week. And I'll leave them on my desk and Saturday I'll go do them. But I write them all down so I know they're not forget, forgotten, but I do not touch them on Friday. I rarely answer my email on Friday. I rarely answer my phone on Friday. And my, my team knows I'm not, because I honor the scripture, I said I'm not going to call you on Friday ever. I'm not going to ask you to do anything on Friday. If your phone rings for me on Friday, something critical is happening in the ministry of our church or with a family in our church. But other than that, 48 of the 52 weeks, we're going to unplug because God says we we should and we can. And we're just going to trust God for the results of Friday. So I want to challenge for those of you who have a hard time shutting it down, just write a list of everything you haven't gotten done yet. Leave the list for the day after your Sabbath, but take a full 24 hours and check into your kids and your spouse. Check into the Lord. Catch up on your devotions and maybe your prayer time, your Bible study schedule. But give God a day of your life. Thirdly, how do we manage a cluttered life? Develop a refresh schedule. Develop a refresh schedule. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart. means we don't get discouraged with this fact, that outwardly we're wasting away. Now, if we stop right there, that's a discouraging fact. Paul said, hey, I want to tell you something, but don't get discouraged. Like, one day at a time, your life is empty. Um, Outwardly, you're wasting away. The hair is turning gray or it's leaving altogether. The pounds don't go away as he's outwardly. Life is getting really hard, but don't be discouraged by that fact because the apostle Paul says inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So here's what the apostle Paul says. Every day you're burning fuel. Every day you have to replace the fuel. You know, every now and then I'll take a long trip. I'll have to drive up to the airport. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jason and I had to go down to Clinton, Missouri, And anytime I take a trip that I know is going to empty my gas tank, I always figure out where the gas stations are along the way because I don't want to get a stretch of highway without gas. It's funny that we'll have work projects due that we know are going to drain our tank, but we don't plan to fill up after we're done. We go through life seasons that we know are going to drain our tank, but we don't plan a refresh schedule to fill up again. We know that our most difficult day of work is X day, but we don't plan anything X evening to go ahead and fill up again. And none of us would think we could just drive around our car empty, but we drive around our lives empty. So we have to develop a refresh schedule. What trips in your life empty the gas tank? What are the things that just drain you? If you can figure those things out, then you can figure out where are the gas stations located in your life and what fills me back up. My question to you, what's your hobby? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, we're meant to enjoy life, eat, drink, and enjoy life. What is your hobby? What are the things you like to do? Do you like to play golf? Do you like to go fishing? Do you like to take a walk? Do you like to go walk your dog? Do you like to work in the yard? Do you like to go to Royals games? Do you like to play fantasy football? Do you play some sport recreationally? Do, do you hang out with other moms at the playground? What's the thing that when you return from it, you just feel refreshed? You got to schedule that. Those times don't happen on accident. You have to schedule that. So develop a refresh schedule in your tr- in your life. Now, here's a refresh tip for you. You probably will not have time for this unless you make time for it. That's the reality of it. None of us have time for another hobby or a hobby, but you have to make time for it if you want to manage and be in charge of your cluttered life. I had a friend in high school who he and his girlfriend dated all through high school, and they were still dating when we got back from college. And I ran into him at, at some kind of get together. We were all kind of hanging out and someone asked him across the room. They said, hey, when are the, because they've been, this guy and his girl have been dating for like seven years. And they said, hey, when, like, when are you going to finally get married? Like, when are y'all getting married? And he said, I'm going to propose to her as soon as I get back from Chicago. And so someone said, when are you going to Chicago? And he laughed and he said, never. Uh, and like, they never ended up getting married. Like what he was saying is we're not like, I'm not going to marry her. And a lot of you, it's like, when are you going to schedule a hobby? You're like, you know what? The first free week I'll have, I'll schedule a hobby. Well, when is that? Probably never. You know, I'm probably, I'm probably never really going to do it. I might as well just say it. You have to develop a refresh schedule. And I want you to try to think about this or at least discuss this before you go to bed tonight. You probably won't have time unless you make time for it. But I would, I would encourage you to do this. Refresh, t- refresh tip two has just been given to me by one of my ministry coaches. I found that journaling is an effective way to keep track of your gas gauges to ensure that you don't run out of gas. Just getting a, a little notebook beside your bed. And in, in every night, every week, I have to turn in a report to my church planning coach, Pastor Jimmy Dodd, who's actually in two weeks going to be here speaking on Sunday morning, he's going to speak four or five times at our church this year. I meet with him every other week, but every week I have to send him a report. I think we've got a slide of it where I have to fill out this gas gauge and send it to him. So every week I have to say on, on the scale of emotional energy, empty quarter, half, three quarters are full. Physical energy, empty quarter, half, three quarters full. My spiritual life, empty quarter, half, three quarters full. If I could be honest with you. I don't even think about those gauges except for on the days that I have to fill them out. And by the time I get there, I thought, man, I I wish I'd have known I was running this close to empty. Maybe I wouldn't have bottomed out. So I've learned that journaling, just when you go to bed at night, being able to write down, man, I am really tired. I got to catch up on sleep. Or man, I had a bad day. I need to call a friend and make sure I have a good day. Journaling is a good way to just keep track of the gauges in your life and how you're doing. And then finally, number four, And I believe this is biblical dream a big bucket list Man dream a big bucket list that focuses you not on what you have to do in the next 24 hours But what you hope to do before your life on this earth is gone Psalm 37 4 says this take delight in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart What are the desires of your heart? What are the things you've wanted to do, the places you've wanted to go, the people you've wanted to meet, the activities you've wanted to watch or participate in? Like what's at the end of your life, what do you want to look back and have done? What's your bucket list? Do you even have a written bucket list or a dream list that you and your spouse ever talk about? We hope to do this before it's all said and done with. Because I find at the end of our life, we we often look back at the things we didn't get to do instead of reflecting on all the great things that we did. Sunday, um, last, last week, actually Monday, Danielle and I boarded a plane and we were at a church planning conference in Orlando, Florida with more than 5,000 church planners from around the world. And when we got on our plane on Monday, Danielle and I were in Southwest and we checked in late, so we didn't get to sit beside each other. But there was an open seat next to a woman from Idaho named Susan who clearly had cancer that Danielle ended up sitting beside and on this three-hour-plus three flight to Orlando, Danielle found out Susan's story that two-and-a-half years ago, after being healthy her entire life, she had a daughter. They had to do a C-section. When they opened her up to take the baby, they realized that she was filled with a rare cancer that usually only children have. They've been trying to treat it for two-and-a-half years. To make a long story short, it does not work. And she's got less than four months to live. So she and her family were on a Make-A-Wish trip down to Disney, Before she died. Danielle got a chance to pray with her. And minister to her a little bit. But I thought man. How how sad is it that we always wait. Until we know the end is coming. To go ahead and try to hurry up those activities. We wish we would have always done. Isn't it interesting that the make a wish. Doesn't hand out money. People at the end of their life aren't looking for money. They're looking for memories. They're looking for one last memory. And the bucket list tip that I would give you is invest your life in memories, not materials. Dr. Robert Lewis, who leads a men's study called Men's Fraternity, challenged men as men leading their households. He said, invest in memories, not materials. He said, at the end of your life, you're not going to worry about the size of your house, what type of car, the kind of clothes you you wore. He said, when you're sitting around in your hospital bed, you're going to talk about the places you went. You're going to talk about the things you experienced. You're going to look at photo albums full of memories not materials. You're not going to want to see your jewelry, your car, your house. You're going to want to reflect on life. Let me challenge you like Jesus challenged his disciples in Mark chapter 6. If your life is so busy that you don't have time to eat, if your life is so busy that you don't ever have time to rest well, you need to call time out and you need to back up. And you need to start with rest. How are you going to live your cluttered life where you rest well? And then you need to continue with your Sabbath. When are you going to get away? Not just this week, but this quarter and this year. When are you going to go away for a little bit? And then continue with what refreshes me when I'm really worn out? What fills me back up spiritually? And then end with, man, before I die, what's one thing that if I got cancer today and the Make-A-Wish Foundation called me and said, you've got two months, what do you want to do? What would I give them? And why should I get cancer to start planning that trip? Maybe I should start planning it now. You see, managing your cluttered life is all about putting the right things first and letting everything follow. And my prayer for you today is that you'll be bold enough to try to enact these very practical things that Jesus has told us to do to live the life God created us to live. Let's pray together.